Hey, everybody. It is great to be with you. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of our broadcast. Uh, what a great conversation around stress and money. And I'm so grateful for those uh, young people that are part of our church to just come and be vulnerable and share and help us kind of launch our topics each week. My name is Ryan, and I am the lead pastor here at Crossroads. So great that you're tuning in. I have to say hi to my friend Chevette, who uh, jumped on and is, a, is watching and tuning in. Chevette was part of our small group for for uh, many, many years in Maine. And so it was great to see her name kind of pop up. So thanks for tuning in, Chevette. And uh, I'm excited about our topic tonight. I know a lot of people might not be, you might not be, you might be thinking, oh no, we're talking about money and money stress. But, you know, I, I wanna start off right from the beginning and say, you know, a measure of concern about things in life is healthy. Right? And, and that's really what we're talking about in this series is not a healthy concern or even like a healthy measure of responsibility, which could, you know, some might call worry, but when it turns into something toxic in our lives, toxic in our lives. Like I think of a, a person who I was having a conversation with many, many years ago, uh, a guy who owned a business, a really nice guy, was a part of uh, the ministry that we were uh, participating in. And we'll call him uh, Vinny. Uh, we'll call him that because that was his name. And uh, Vinny was a great guy, just loved, loved Jesus, uh, loved the work he was doing, uh, would just, you know, he was just a good guy in a lot of ways. Like all of us, we all have our good areas, right? But Vinny would stress about money stress about money, 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 stress, 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 stress. And one day we're having this conversation as they were moving in to this beautiful home, he and his family. And I remember him sitting there talking to me and he said to me, Ryan, I just, I just wish the Lord would give me a million dollars. If the Lord would give me a million dollars, everything would be okay. Everything would be okay. And I remember just listening to him and I looked at him and I said, Vinny, brother, I said, listen, man. I said, God is never gonna put a million dollars in your bank account. And he just was totally taken back. Couldn't believe I said that to him. I was pretty young at the time. And he just, what do you mean? And I said, Vinny, think about how much you worry about the money you have right now. Why would God curse you with more? Why would God put more stress in your life, right? And it's just a great example of, it's true. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. If you're a person who generally has a disposition towards you know, worry or toxic worry about money, it's not gonna matter. You know why it's not gonna matter how much you have? Because here's the truth. We as people, we worry about the money we don't have, <laughs> right? I mean, we worry about the money we need. Oh, I wanna get this, I wanna get that, I need this. I've got this bill coming. We worry about the money we don't have. But here's the truth. We worry about the money we do have, right? We worry about the money we have in our lives. If you got some money in the bank account, maybe we worry, what's gonna happen? What's gonna go away? If you've saved up, you got a 401k, the stock market crashes, we all of a sudden, we worry about it. The reality is we worry about what we don't have. We worry about what we do have. Why is that? Because we live in a culture that never considers and never thinks that enough is enough. We just live in a world and, and we, are, we are in an affluent culture and we have a very difficult time living in a space of contentment. And here's why. Because in our culture, in the way in which we live, in, in being in an affluent Western world, comparison grips our lives. See, comparison and contentment are mortal enemies, like mortal enemies, villain, like, like the villain of contentment is comparison. If contentment is a superhero in your spiritual life, which by the way it is, if contentment is a superhero when it comes to your like psyche and true self and ability to be at peace, right? <laughs> comparison, th that's the arch villain, 
right? Because you can feel really good about life. You can feel really good about your house and then you get invited over to a neighbor's house and you go, oh my goodness, look at what they have. And we're no longer content. And now we start worrying, well, I gotta get this. I've gotta get that. Contentment is so powerful, but we miss out on it because we compare ourselves, right? And we just get worried. We see, we maybe even look at somebody else's life and see a struggle that they're going through. We start going, well, what if that happens to me? What if that happens to me? And in our kind of, most of us living in this middle-class world that we live in, it's so easy to compare. It's so easy to get dissatisfied with the reality of what we have. It's so easy to worry about what happens tomorrow. And scripture actually offers us a lot of wisdom on this, believe it or not. And I wanna look at a story in the gospel of Matthew. Now, listen, if you're tuning in, we're gonna look at Matthew chapter six. We're gonna look at about 15 verses, verses 19 through 35. Now, if you're brand new to church, faith, this broadcast, if you're brand new to the Bible, that's awesome. I'm so glad you're tuning in. I'm so glad you're with us because the Bible is this wonderful collection of writings that offers us a glimpse into the struggle to live a life that is faithful to love, to live a wise life. I believe deeply that the Bible in some ways is inspired, right? It is this collection. It, it provides us wisdom. And so I want to look at a story that, uh, that we attribute to this book called Matthew. Now, Matthew is what's called a gospel. It tells the story of the good news, the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. Now, each of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were written to specific communities, right? Uh, when Matthew, we'll call him Matthew, we're not really sure who the author's tradition tells us. It links back and it goes back to Matthew, one of the disciples of Jesus. But when Matthew puts together the story of Jesus, he puts together the story of Jesus in a unique way for the community that he's writing to. Same with Mark, same with Luke, same with John. They tell the story of Jesus and they collect the stories about Jesus and put them together in a way that was uh, appropriate for the community that they were writing for. And so we wanna take a glimpse into Matthew, which was kind of unique community. And we'll see why and why it really does pertain to us, okay? So Matthew chapter six, verse 19 through 34, uh, Jesus is teaching and he's teaching his, uh, this portion that comes from what Matthew has collected and put together and called the Sermon on the Mount, right? His basic teaching, it kind of, uh, all kinds of topics are dealt with in, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? So Matthew chapter six, verse 19 is where we'll pick it up. It says this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. Don't store them up here. Instead, store up treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Matthew takes this teaching of Jesus and he places it in a very interesting spot. And in the beginning of Matthew chapter six, Jesus actually talks about eternal rewards, right? Jesus, like Matthew has taken Jesus's teaching on eternal rewards in Matthew chapter six, verse one through four. And he says, hey, listen, here's how you get eternal rewards. And we'll talk about this a little later. He says, you gotta give stuff away. You gotta serve the poor, right? You build treasures up. And then in 19, he picks the same language up of treasures and rewards. And he says, you are gonna build a storehouse. Matthew's talking about storehouse. And he is, I love it. He says, the question is not whether you're building a storehouse, it's what type of storehouse you're building. Like that's the issue, right? You and I are gonna build up a storehouse and we're gonna do it either here, we're gonna build a storehouse in this side of eternity 
And that storehouse is gonna be built on a foundation of greed. How much can I amass? How much can I have so that I can feel safe and secure about my tomorrow? Or we can build up a storehouse that's built on generosity. What can I do to build the kingdom of God? Now, this is a particularly interesting uh, shaping of Jesus's teaching by Matthew because Matthew's community was unique. Jesus, when Jesus spoke these things in his ministry, his original audiences uh, was probably a collection of very impoverished people. The reality is, as Jesus spoke to the crowds, there was no question of them storing up for tomorrow. These were folks that were living day to day, meal to meal. And Jesus was encouraging them with they can trust in God. Jesus was encouraging them that God loved them, that God was caring for them, that God would provide for them. So when Matthew comes along now, who's, you know, the writing of Matthew is say like, 50 years, 60 years after the life of Jesus, the temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed. The Romans have come and have uh, really laid waste to Jerusalem. And now there's a community of Christians that have developed and they've been dispersed. The, the actual audience of Matthew, a lot of scholars believe that it was more of a middle-class group of people. It was more a group of people that were asking a little different questions around money. They weren't actually wondering where money was gonna come from. They weren't actually wondering where their possessions were gonna be. They were probably filled more with worry about what would happen tomorrow if, if another invasion took place. What do I do? And so there would be this question of, I need to have more. I need to make sure that I'm building up. I need to make sure that I'm, I have like a nice, good cush of savings. I've got to have more to make sure of this, right? And that's Matthew's community. Now, what we see is Matthew, as he's addressing his community here, he's dealing with an issue that we face in kind of middle class, middle upper class America. It's like, okay, I've got a little extra money at the end of the month. What do I do with it? I've got a little extra money, right? Uh, I could live in such a way that I have some margin perhaps. Now, there's some of us that are watching this. The truth is we are wondering, well, maybe not day to day, but there's a bit of stress around the bills that are coming. You know, many of us in this season of COVID, our stress is rising because, you know, our jobs are gone. We've taken a pay cut or we've actually lost our jobs. And so there's worry and stress building around because of that. And Matthew presents throughout this whole section in his gospel, a contrasting message. So Matthew talks about prayer here earlier, a little bit earlier. He talks about fasting. He talks about giving to the poor and he provides a contrast. He says, listen, don't do it. He reminds them of Jesus's words. Actually, he says, don't do it the way these people do it. You know, don't give the way they give, wanting, you know, trumpets to be blown and everybody to see them. Don't pray the way they pray, but do it differently, live differently. Matthew is bringing Jesus's teaching and he's offering this group of people that are probably more urban dwelling, probably living close to a city, probably a little bit more wealthy, more of a, a, a working middle class. And he's saying, you have to live differently. This is what Jesus is teaching. This is the way he shapes the message. And it's so powerful for us because in the West, many of us in middle-class America, many of you in middle-class America, middle-upper-class America, you can relate to this idea of, I've got to worry about next week. I've got to worry about next month. What happens? I got to have three months, six months. We just drive to have the savings, right? There's nothing wrong with savings, by the way. What happens is when it starts to consume us and that's what Jesus and Matthew are getting at. And he goes on and writes, Matthew tells us, Jesus says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is healthy. It's filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep the darkness is. Uh, and then he goes on, he says, you cannot serve two masters. 
It's impossible. You will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he really brings it home. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. That's what Matthew's saying to his community. This is what Jesus said. And I love that Matthew takes this teaching of Jesus about the light in, and it being a, a doorway into the soul and like if it's healthy. And he applies it to money because he's saying how you see money is the issue. What you think of it is the real issue. Money isn't the issue. Money is just a tool. It's a resource. Money isn't, isn't not intrinsically bad or intrinsically good. It just is. And I love that Matthew shapes Jesus' teaching. He says, but here's the deal. If you see money incorrectly, it'll corrupt everything. You'll become a slave to it. If you see money as a resource, as a tool, if it's something that you can employ uh, to uh, be, be good to this world, to do justice with, to, to serve others, right? Then that's wonderful. But if you think money is what provides you your stability and your security, you will soon become a slave to it. It's just how it's going to go. And so Matthew goes on with Jesus's words and he says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Huh. Now this, I gotta tell you, this section right here is, is just craziness. It, it, it's like Jesus, we're like, Jesus, you have no idea what we live with. You didn't live in COVID, Jesus. You have no clue what's going on. But this, this is what Jesus says. Don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. But wait a second. And Jesus asks a series of questions. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? And then he draws their attention to two things. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. Now I actually looked this up. Uh, I thought that's kind of weird that Jesus said, you don't like birds don't store food. I looked it up and birds do store food. <laughs> it's quite interesting. There's a whole swath of birds that they do. They store food and they hide it for the next day. So I don't think Jesus is trying to give us a, a lesson on birds. I don't think Jesus is trying to be literalist. I think what Jesus is doing is bringing this point that says, it's your heavenly father that feeds them, right? They don't go build barns, right? When they, when they find something to store for tomorrow, they go, oh, I have tomorrow, let's go build a barn. No, they don't do that. And they don't plant or their harvest. But what Jesus is trying to get the, the folks to recognize and what Matthew wants his community to know is the father is behind all of it. The father's the one doing the feeding. There's some work there. The birds got to go out and get it, right? Birds got to go out and gather it. But underneath it all is the father feeding them. And then Jesus brings this wonderful question. Aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Aren't you more valuable? And then he asks another brilliant question. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing, he says. I love this part. I rarely worry about my clothing. I'm dressed up. I got a collar on this evening. <laughs> this morning, whenever you're watching it, right? Why worry about your clothing? I'm like, amen, Jesus. Why worry about it? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't make their clothing. Yet Solomon, the king, the grandeur, the one who had everything in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, how certainly he will care for you. And then Jesus, after he makes this statement about the reality of the father, if we will trust, if we will believe that, then he says, why do you have so little faith? Why do you have so little faith? You see, the questions are the key to understanding Jesus' statement. We could be super literal and be like, oh, I'm not allowed to ever think about money. And I just have to wake up today and go out to the mailbox and there'll be food there. No, that's not what Jesus is saying, right? Jesus is saying, there is an underlying trust and belief in our lives that the one who provides 
is providing, is good, is our Father who loves and cares for his creation or her creation, whichever pronoun you prefer to use. Right, that God cares and loves and is concerned and is providing. And if you look around at this world that we live in, you can see the goodness of God manifest in it. And we are so valuable to God. And so look at the questions. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? In other words, keep a proper perspective. Keep a proper perspective on what the realities of life are. Life are about, is about people. Life is about the glory of God being made manifest through our decisions right? It says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? See, worry is incredibly deceitful. Worry drains you of energy. Worry makes you think you've actually accomplished something when in reality we've accomplished nothing. Why? Because it's exhausting. And this question, why do you have so little faith? And for Jesus, this word faith is not, why, how come you can't believe that I am the son of God? How come you can't believe in these doctrines about me? How come you can't believe I was born of a virgin? How come you can't believe that I'm returning in this way or that way? The word faith, that has very little to do with what Jesus is saying. Faith for Jesus was a trust that God was good and a father, that God was one who would provide. And so Jesus goes on, Matthew puts it together and says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows your needs. And I wanna say that what Jesus is saying, I believe and what Matthew wants to point out to his community is not concern for having clothing, but worrying about tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and storing up and storing up and storing up and storing up. Because there's a lack of trust that God will provide the needs that are necessary for today. And so then Jesus gives the clue. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Righteousness, peace, joy, justice, mercy, the kingdom of God, the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, live righteously. Again, Don't read that in the way in which we think about it in terms of a modern kind of moral understanding. You have to think of righteously was always around behavior one to another. Treat one another well. And God, your father, will give you everything you need. You gotta prioritize things right. You gotta recognize what money's there for. Money is there as a tool, as a resource. God puts it into our lives. And so we, above anything else, above more barns to store things amongst bigger savings accounts. Seek the kingdom of God, live righteously, and God will give you everything you need. And I love this statement. You gotta lean in and listen to this. He says, so don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. There's a promise for you. Nobody quotes that as my life verse. This is my life verse. Uh, Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Praise Jesus, I'm gonna get through the day. I love Jesus as a realist, right? Total realist. Listen, what are you worrying about tomorrow for? And then he polishes the statement off. Matthew just brilliantly puts together, says, today's trouble's enough for today. Now that's a good life verse, right? Today's trouble is enough for today. You're so worried. This is what Matthew's saying to his community of urban middle-class dwellers. 60 years after the life of Jesus, he's crafting and taking the Jesus story and bringing application to their life. I love it. He says, today's trouble is enough. It's enough. And so here's what I would say to you, the main thing about money. And remember, we said the main thing is soul care. Soul care is what we're talking about. How do we care for our souls 
in the midst of stress in certain areas and to help be a preventative measure. So this main thing, the soul care about stress, the main thing about money is this, generosity. Generosity is the soul care principle that keeps financial worries in check. I tried, to, I tried to word that specifically because I do think that there's financial concern and there's financial worries that are gonna come about. There's the things of today. There's what's in front of me. What's happening right now? Focus on that. Focus on that. It keeps it in check. And the only way to do that is generosity. And this hits your everyday normal life in big time ways, right? And, and here's how it happens. You and I, I would love for us as a community of faith, wherever you are, whenever you're watching this, if you're connected and say, I'm a part of the Crossroads family, right? I would love if each of us as individuals and as a collective, as a network of people committed to doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with God, that we would build an eternal investment strategy, both as a gathered church and as individual followers of Jesus. Because the key to everything here, right, as Matthew's trying to lay it out, goes back to Matthew chapter six, verse one through four, where Jesus says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others for you will lose the reward from your father in heaven. There is a reward. There is a way in which God will honor us. Crazy enough as that is. He says, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. No, he says, I tell you the truth. They've received all the reward they'll ever get. There's always a reward to, to generosity. There's always a reward for doing good things. It can be now or it can be on the other side of eternity where moths don't eat away at it and rust, and rust doesn't destroy it. And Jesus says, here's the contrary way. Remember, Matthew's giving contrast, right? But when you give to someone in need, when you act generously, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's a metaphor, folks. It's a metaphor, <laughs> right? Do it privately, so privately that you're not even sure what you just did, right? You do it privately. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you, will reward you. This is the beauty of it. See, I believe deeply that this eternal investment strategy, that's what we need to have. Man, I know so many of us, we can spend so much time worrying about our investment strategy on earth, but this is so temporary. This life, when it comes to eternity, when it comes to the existence, when it comes to what God has prepared for us, it's so small. It's such short-sighted thinking. And so build this strategy. Now here's some, I think some key commitments to a eternal investment strategy. You're not gonna like these. You might wanna just tune off, shut it out, close your watch party because these aren't necessarily easy to do, but they will give you a healthy soul. Here's what I would encourage you. If God asks you to give it away, give it away. I'll let that one sink in for just a second as you think about all your garbage. Like, let's just think about all the stuff you own, Right? everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever it might be. If, if the spirit of God were to whisper to you, give it away, would you immediately go, like would panic seize your life? I have to give away my TV. What? Give away my car? Some of you just need to get like way, way more beat up vehicles. So you don't feel bad if God says, give it away. But I, I can tell you right now, if God, if you know in your life, you have a possession that if God were to say to you, whisper to you, not Ryan, don't, don't, hear, by the way, there's no big offering at the end of this message. Okay, listen, if, if, if you were to hear God whisper to your heart, give away this. 
and you know, I'll give away your car, give away your video game system, give away your you know, electric scooter, give away your skateboard, give away whatever, give away your boat, give away your house. If the spirit of God were to whisper for you to do that and that possession, you were not able to do it, then that possession might possess you. And here's the truth. I've got stuff in my life that if God were to whisper to give it away, I'd have a hard time doing it. I'd have a hard time doing it. Some stuff I'd be able to give away super quick. My kids, God whispers, give them away. I'm like, no problem. I'm just kidding around, just joking, just joking, right? What are those things in our lives? And it's just a good reality check. It's just a good reality check to make sure that our eyes are seeing things correctly, that our stability isn't found in our mortgage and in the home that we own. Our stability isn't found in the, in the, in the cars that we have. Our stability and our hope and our provision is found in the goodness of God of love. So if God asks you to give it away, would you give it away? And I wanna encourage us to be people that don't let our potential emergencies trump our neighbor's present emergencies. You know, I'm a big fan of really sound financial planning processes. Not that I've always followed them in my life, but I think they're wonderful. And I have been a part of congregations and churches that leverage all types of tools to help people get a financial plan in place to be stable, to be responsible. I think they're all great. But one of the things that I always get concerned about is if we're not careful, we are actually teaching people to do the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying by storing up and storing up and storing up and storing up. Not because it's there and we just need to store it up because we're looking for an opportunity to get, but because we're so worried and concerned about tomorrow and we can't trust God to provide. And so we ignore the needs and the emergencies of the now because we wanna save up for a potential emergency in the future because we don't have enough trust in God. And so what I, I just wanna encourage you, right? That be cautious with that. Now, is there anything wrong with saving? Absolutely not. It's wise, right? There's lots of wisdom in scripture around savings, but there's a point where we start burying the resources that God has given to us to meet the needs of today in other people's lives. There's a point where we start abandoning this gospel, this call of sacrifice. And we start abandoning our trust in the goodness of our heavenly parents. So don't let the potential emergency trump this present emergency that you find in your neighbor's life. We sang that song, he'll do it again. If God has provided for you to, to stick a little money into a savings account, all of a sudden you find out you've got a, a friend uh, who, who is in need, they have an emergency, and you hear God's spirit whisper to you, hey, go help that person. Don't get caught up in, well, that's gonna empty it out. That's my last hundred, what am I gonna do? Hey, he'll do it again. God will provide again, be an agent. And so I wanna encourage you to make these commitments. Another part of an investment strategy is being wise with your money, budget. Budget things like savings and spending and giving. Budget your generosity, budget it. Make it a part of your life, a part of your rhythm, right? Live this out, live this principle. It says, yeah, I'm gonna save a little, nothing wrong with that, but I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give, I wanna have a heartbeat to give, to be a, a, a vessel with which God just flows through and uses me. And then I think the last thing we have to do, and I wanna caution, there is a dark side of this idea is that please don't confuse unwise money management with trusting God. <laughs> 
right? We don't get to go, oh, you know what? I just rack up all the bills on the credit card. I just do it. I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm just going to trust the Lord. I mean, I'm going to have more month, you know, month than money every month. I'm just God's going to provide. Uh-uh, that's not how this works, right? You're going to find yourself in the bottom of a pit holding a shovel angry at God as if God dug that hole for you, right? It's not how it works, right? We oftentimes make foolish decisions. I mean, there's some Proverbs that are pretty harsh that talk about our stupidity leading us to be angry at God. So part of an eternal investment strategy is saying, well, I can't be unwise about money management. I can't be immature. I can't be spoiled and selfish. I have to actually hit that pause button. That's not what it means to trust God. And then I think this is so great. I wonder if we could be people who would look for today's trouble. Now, many of us, including myself, the first time we read that, Jesus says, hey, today has enough trouble for itself. We're like, amen, I got enough trouble. What if, <laughs> well, what if Matthew's writing to a group of, fair, of middle-class, economically stable people who today's trouble really doesn't exist because they're wondering and they're asking the question about storehouses. What if the point of Matthew is, don't build bigger and bigger storehouses. What if he's saying it's because there's enough trouble for today and maybe we just need to open our eyes and see the trouble that exists in other people's lives and recognize the privilege and honor it is to help relieve some of that trouble, help alleviate some of that pain. And so the big question for all of these topics, in my opinion, the big question for why you just sat through the last you know, 30, 35 minutes, however long, I'm sure I'm over, right? Is, is can we actually bring hope and peace can we actually be transformed by this or is it just nonsense? Does this actually make a difference in my community, in my family, in my life? Yes. <laughs> See, you can bring hope by, by learning to be this generous person, by living into the reality of generosity, because when you do that, it will make you an answer to someone's prayer. Isn't that amazing? You'll become an answer to someone's prayer. Someone who's struggling, who's praying, who's seeking God, saying, I don't know what to do. Today's trouble has, uh, has come upon me and I have no way and no means. And all of a sudden you can be sensitive to the spirit of God and see and hear and you've been wise and you're able to give. You're able to be generous in that moment. You're able to recognize the need. You know how this transforms us? It's because generosity breaks the power of greed in our lives and in our world. Greed. <laughs> We could, we could do a whole another 45 minutes on just greed and the dangers of greed and, and the pain that it's caused. The only way to break money's grip on our lives, to, to change the way we see it, is generosity. And generosity is one of those things that sounds wonderful uh, and, and we all love it. We all wanna be considered a generous person, but it's very hard to live into. It's very hard to be that. But generosity breaks the power of greed. And it's greed that controls us, by the way. It's greed that causes us to build up and, and to think that we're gonna have all these needs that we won't be able to meet, that we just need to have a bigger house and we need to have a better car. That's probably the analogy. That's probably a better way of thinking in our modern terms of like building barns, you know, and storing things. It's like, just be content. Like your need is provided for. So you need a bigger house, you need a bigger, you know, maybe you don't, maybe you do. Greed pushes us and compels, but generosity will break that power will build contentment and joy in our lives. The reality is most of us have lost sleep in our lives over money. I know I have. I, I've lost sleep over money uh, that was owed to me. That doesn't happen very often as I think about it, but I'm sure at some point in time in my life I have, but maybe you have, right? 
I've lost, I've lost sleep over money that I've spent. A little buyer's remorse every now and then, right? I've lost sleep over money that I've wanted. You know, I want a raise or I want this, I want that. But you know what I've learned about money and losing sleep? I've never lost sleep over money that I've been able to give away. Never. Never in my life have I lost any sleep over seeing a need and meeting it and going, well, I'm just gonna have to not do this. I have to make that sacrifice. I've never lost money over, I've never lost sleep over money that I've sent to amazing works that are feeding people. Never lost money over giving to wonderful projects, to friends that are doing great things and nonprofits. I've never lost money over that. Isn't that interesting? And I bet the same is true of you. And there's so much peace that comes when all of a sudden I know that my money isn't controlling me, but I'm controlling it. And all of a sudden the stress and the worry goes to a normal level. And I think Jesus and Matthew would say, absolutely, there's a level of concern. There's a level of reality of working through today and what today's needs are. They're enough for today. So let's not see money as this way in which we find our stability in the future. Let's learn to be generous. Let's learn to balance all that in our lives. As we wrap up today, I have a question for you as always. What is God inviting you into? What is the spirit of God saying to you and your soul in this moment? And as you consider that, our band has this great song called I Shall Not Want, which is about contentment. Contentment breeds generosity, which breeds peace in our lives and puts money in its proper place. So just take a few moments, breathe a little bit and uh, consider what God might be inviting you into in this arena, in this area of stress, anxiety, and money.